Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this 26th of December in Colorado. Although on the front range, you wouldn't know it was late December by the weather. We had uh, really warm weather the last last couple days. Um, we had some wind earlier, too, which really changed the outdoor conditions. We're going to talk about how that affects hunting, wildlife. We're going to talk about how it affects ice fishing or other outdoor activities. And it's going to cool off after another day or so. And we're going to get more seasonal temperatures and... Uh, That'll affect it, too. So we're going to get you set up maybe to use all that new outdoor gear you got, whether you're hiking, hunting, fishing, whatever you're doing. We're going to take care of you. Uh, we're also going to talk about wildlife watching opportunities today. This this is a great time of the year to get out and do that, and we'll kind of kind of help you do that. And one of the things I want to stress is that it's been a very different year, and it's been with COVID, and, and we all know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but... Maybe we can revisit more of the family activities outdoors together. I know a lot of people have been getting outdoors, but a lot of people got Christmas gifts that for their outdoor activities. This is a time to get your your children, your siblings, your spouse, your significant other involved and go create some memories and partake on maybe some new outdoor activities together and learn about it. Maybe it'll get you out of the house more often, even when COVID clears up. Let's go right to the phones now. Joining us, he's a regular contributor to this show. He's a a very accomplished waterfall hunter and caller. He used to run the contests for calling around here. He's an extremely accomplished angler. He started his career with the folks at In Fisherman. He's a guide here. You hear him all the time, Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. uh, It doesn't feel like Christmas outdoors, does it? Not at all. You know, I'm sitting out here in the duck blind this morning, and to have the water, you know, it it didn't even drop below freezing up here in Platteville last night, and they're talking about it being mid-50s. Yeah, and I was out on my patio yesterday for a short period of time, and, uh, of course, prior to that, we got warm weather, and we had some really big wind. Since you're in the duck blind, I know we want to talk some fishing and changing conditions, but let's start out with waterfall. What effect, what type of hunting is available right now, and what effect has the recent wind and now the warm and then switching to cold weather? What do you see happening now and going forward? Well, I mean, right now you still have some of your upland bird opportunities going on, uh, you know, for pheasants, and I, I think the quail season's still running. Um, but mainly the big thing that a lot of people are out there chasing right now is waterfowl ducks and geese. And the warm weather, I'm not going to say is the best for duck hunting right now. Uh, you know, those birds are able to find some of these ponds that have opened back up again and sit on there. And so they're not moving. So you have to be patient because they're waiting for the days to warm up and you're getting uh, kind of a midday flight. It's not real fast but it's steady enough to make for some good hunting. I have heard if you head a little further east out near uh, Sterling area that the duck hunting and goose hunting is a little better. And then yesterday we got a call from a mutual friend, uh, Tom Bruno, who said the ducks have come in 
in by the thousands to Oahe area. So I expect with this next cold front coming in, we should see a big new push of ducks, which will make the hunting even better. And then on the flip side, the goose hunting, you know, a lot of the geese are using kind of the alfalfa grass fields and the plowed fields. But the guys that are out there goose hunting, and it's like duck hunting. The birds are around. You just need to be patient. And uh, you'll find some birds that want to cooperate. And you'll be able to have a pretty decent day out. But as soon as this weather comes in, it's going to break them from all their patterns. Things are going to change up. And I think the opportunities to have successful hunts are going to be really good right around the first of the year after after the uh, the snow that comes in. What about calling this time of the year when those birds are spread like this? They've got the warm weather. There's lots of places to go. And they may have been hunted a little bit, too. Is do, should you be calling? Are you over-calling? What's, what should you be doing right now and as the weather changes? You know, the best thing I can say is whenever you're calling, the key is to be able to read the birds, see how they react. I usually start the morning by calling at birds. But if if they're coming towards me and I start calling and they start going away, um, I'll put the call down and see if they just want to keep coming without calling and if that doesn't work, then I go to the opposite extreme and just try to make as much noise as possible, you know, and make it sound like you're a, a large group of real happy birds out there to get their attention to come in. Because, you know, sometimes they're in such a routine that it takes that calling to kind of break them from where they really want to go. So it's, it's really about reading the birds and I would say right now, you know, kind of middle to little bit of calling seems to be doing best. But if that doesn't work, don't be afraid to just just pour it to them. Now, you said the ducks are spread out. So you're, I assume you're hunting the ducks over open water and you're hunting the geese more in the fields. And like you said, there's no snow cover. There's hardly any ice after that wind and warm weather we had. What about decoy setting? Does that really change? Is it changed when the ice went away with the decoys? And are you going to have to change as we get cold again? Yeah, I, with the decoy setting and the warmer weather, I typically spread my decoys out a little bit more. Um, the birds don't seem to feel the need to be quite as tight. When it gets cold, then I really pack the birds in, the decoys in close together. That's the way the birds naturally are sitting. And because the birds are spread out a little more, I typically am not using quite as many decoys right now and seems to be getting the best response for the ducks. Now, on geese, I'm going to spread them out again, and I'm going to use big bunches because the fields they're using, there's a whole lot of birds using the fields. So target with a bunch of decoys and spread them out quite a bit. Overall, I guess if we recap, there's still a lot of birds around. Um, they're spread out. You have to <clears throat> you have to be patient, but you can certainly be successful. And we get this cold spell and then seasonal weather coming. That's going to freeze some things up, limit their ice, uh, their open water. You're going to find more choice spots. We should see a lot of birds pushing down from the north, and we get a little snow on the ground to help with the geese. So I would say the best hunting's probably ahead of us yet, right? Yeah, I think for this what we call the the second split of duck season. I definitely think the best duck hunting is still ahead of us. And on the goose side of stuff, you know, we had a great opening of goose season. But these birds have been here a long time, and so they kind of gotten into a routine. So if we get some birds pushing in with this weather, 
I think you're going to see kind of that second wave of really good hunting coming up for the next 10 days, two weeks right after this front and the snow we're going to get. Let's let's change things up a little bit and let's talk about fishing. Um, normally by this time, you and I have found some smaller bodies of water on the front range that we can actually do some ice fishing and be out safely and catch some stockfish, if not some panfish. A few people were starting to do that. I made a trip up into the mountains. We'll talk more about that later, but there's some opportunities uh, up at higher elevations with lots of good ice and biting fish. But the front range has really been a roller coaster. And right now, after that wind and warm weather, I don't know if there's any ice that I'd want to venture out in. What have you seen? I'm saying the same thing, you know, uh, just from what I heard, I saw Jackson reported that uh, I think it was the 23rd, all of their ice that they had out there was completely ripped off the lake. You know, Boyd just posted something that their ice is one to two inches at best, but the shoreline's bad and the ice that they have is not good. And uh, I've been by St. Vrain, the ponds are opening back up again. There are people out there fishing from the shore, catching fish. So, I would say, you know, anywhere north and east of Denver, the ice is going to be really spotty. I think you're going to have to wait until, you know, we've uh, turned the calendar to 2021 before you're going to get on much ice here on the northern front range area. Well, and I think some of the smaller bodies water, it'll happen very quickly. We're going to get a daytime highs in the 30s for a few days starting on Monday. And then even the seasonal 40s, but the nights are cold, the daylight is short. I would think you're right that after the after the New Year's holiday, if you're cautious, you know, we always say there's no such thing as safe ice, but ice fishing can be extremely safe if you use common sense. If you're cautious, I think small, some of the smaller bodies of water are going to be available. Um, we're going to talk to St. Brain a little later in the show about what's available there. Um, and I think some of the lakes that have marina areas of trees like Boyd and uh, they'll they'll start and maybe Chatfield will start to see some of that but boy you're gonna have to be cautious but there will be opportunities but what are you hearing up up in the well before we go to that uh, I know you love panfish and we do a lot of trout fishing on the on the front range you and I together stock trout but we love to chase crappies and bluegills. And if people are patient, there's going to be some good opportunities this year because those fish weren't bothered for quite a while. Yeah, I think that's going to be really good. Uh, one thing kind of to add on to your safety comments there, Terry, is what I did see with the wind that blew is it blew a lot of dirt and sand on the ice that we have right now. And people need to be extra cautious with that because those areas will warm up and usually create a thin spot right there. And, it, I mean, next to just messing up your blades on your auger trying to drill through it, those are areas people need to really make sure not to walk on top of because it could easily be, you know, several inches less ice in that area than the surrounding areas. So, you know, make sure that you're able to kind of keep an eye on that as well. But the pan fishing, man, the things are setting up right now for those pan fish to kind of, be in all their winter spots, you know, the crappies like a little bit deeper water or right at the access to deeper water. And perch are kind of in that same category right there. But the bluegills, if you can find any spot near the shoreline that has cover, whether that's flooded brush, you know, some vegetation, riprap, uh, beaver dam, 
any of that stuff will create a lot of, you know, microorganisms in there, and the panfish will feed on that. So if you can find good areas like that with, you know, a little bit of depth to them and enough ice, you know, be careful because anything sticking out of the ice will be another thin spot. But those are the spots that I'm going to target for bluegill right when we're first able to get on the ice. And, you know, downsize to real small jigs, you know, size 10 hook or smaller. And then little bait, whether you're using little plastics or, you know, my favorite bait, if I'm going to use live bait, is going to be a spike. It lasts longer. And I think panfish really like it. And uh, just go in there and... The nice thing is once you find panfish, you can get into easy, you know, 30 to, to 60 fish days are not uncommon at all. No, and it's so much fun because especially we're going to have a lot of new ice anglers this year. If you can find those panfish or stock trout for that matter, uh, you get the action going and and you're going to be able to get fish in a hurry and get them steady, and that just makes it, you know, if it's a little cooler outside, it makes the whole the whole process a lot more fun. What are you hearing up in the mountains? Anything in particular about any bites that you've heard of? Well, you know, I know you were up at Red Feathers here recently, and I've heard the bite up there has continued to be good. Um, the North Michigan is producing a lot of those stalker-sized fish. Uh, there are some bigger fish being caught at Lake John and the North Park bodies of water. So if you want to head up to the hills, there definitely is opportunities for trout. Um, just be willing to, to put some time in, and, uh, you know, you need to spend a little time looking. I, I talked to a couple people that went to Lake John and had a tough bite, but uh, other people that are doing good. So you need to kind of look through all the depths and also try to find those areas those fish will find the depth range that they really are utilizing. So once you're able to find that, you can kind of stay in that depth range and be real successful. But uh, until you find that, the best thing I can say is, you know, start with some holes shallow and drill a line of holes out deep and use your electronics if you have them. If you can find areas where you're seeing more fish, you know, then it's just a matter of, matching the hatch or, or putting a, a lure in front of them that they want. And when I'm doing a lot of that looking, I oftentimes am using spoons, not as much that I'm going to catch fish, but you're at least going to get some trout or, or even panfish in the area will come up and they'll come up to take a look at that spoon, that, that fast action, the more aggressive will draw them in and you can start marking them on your electronics and know, okay, we have fish in this, this depth zone right here, this is where we need to concentrate our effort and then really try to dial in the pattern for the day. Well, you really hit the nail on the head with that drilling holes and and moving. Um, For panfish, we get accustomed to doing this all the time. I think for trout, some people, because trout can cruise through, are willing to wait on a hole a little more. But if you go out to, like, Dowdy or one of those places and and you're not, you drill like, five to ten holes but like you said don't drill them all at 10 feet drill at 
6 feet, 8 feet, 12 feet, 16 feet, and then go from hole to hole and see if you can locate some fish. When you find fish, drill a couple more holes at that depth. And then if you lose the fish, but if you don't see fish at all for 15, 20 minutes, or if the fish quit biting for half an hour, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get up and move. I'm going to check out another area, some different depths, maybe even a different type of, of structure. I did hear exactly what you said at the, the um, North Park area, Lake John and the Delaney's that they're not getting the hot bite they were earlier in the year for numbers, but they're getting some big fish, including a, a 10-pound cut bow came out, of, uh, came out of Lake John this week. So there's some big fish being caught. I also feel Dowdy, it's going to get a little more pressure this year because we don't have ice on the front range. Dowdy West up in the Red Feathers area, but they're well-stocked. You should do well there. Um, people need to remember, too, Brad, that lakes like Bel Air and Chambers and Joe Wright I believe are all closed because of the national forest and the forest fires. So you have to really check before you head out. Yeah, that's, that's really important. And you know, that status could change throughout the winter or, or throughout the year. So just really um, go on the forest service website and check on that. If they don't have any updated information that they've opened up, I think the safest thing to do, is to just assume they're closed. You'd hate to drive up to Chambers planning to go lake trout fishing to find out that it's still closed and all you brought was your lake trout gear and you're trying to go, you know, catch smaller stalker trout at one of the lakes when you've got a bunch of six-inch tube jigs with you is all you brought. All right. We have to run. Uh, good luck with your continued hunting for today, and thank you for those updates. All right. Thanks a lot, Terry. You can find Brad at Brad Peterson Outdoors if you want to book a trip or want more uh, information. He books both uh, bird hunting, uh, mostly waterfall, and fishing trips, ice fishing and open water. So um, give him a, give him, get a hold of him on Brad Peterson Outdoors, a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Joe Lewandowski from Parks and Wildlife is going to join us, and we're going to talk the mighty lynx here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, serving the outdoor public in Colorado for 65 years. If you if you need it, Jack's has got it. Um, before we go to the phones, I want to say thanks to my uh, grandson Weston, who's helping out with production today. He's uh, he's going to be six years old next month, and he is uh, letting me know that people like Joe Lewandowski are on the line and waiting. So let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Joe Lewandowski. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing really well. Thanks for waiting patiently. Uh, Brad had a lot of good information, but I want to spend some time here. We've got time today. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot of fishing, hunting, camping, outdoor activities on this show, and a lot of people understand what parks do. And But I think when it comes to parks and wildlife and the wildlife section, they think maybe you just manage the hunting and fishing seasons and those, but your responsibilities go a lot further than that. The, the license and money you get goes to providing a lot of conservation work, and probably for some species people don't even uh, don't even think about. And you've got a couple really good success stories to tell us about today. 
Yeah, I mean, really, if you look at what Colorado Parks and Wildlife does on the wildlife side is we mainly do conservation work, and that's everything from, you know, our hatcheries to, uh, to you know, to how we uh, look at deer and elk herds and then to the non-game species, which I wanted to talk about a little bit today. You're right, and, and everything you do, whether it's for a game or non-game species, um, improves the whole uh the whole the whole uh, area that everything gets improved. The whole outdoors is better, and everybody takes advantage of it. It's better for all the wildlife when you maintain good habitat. It's better for the wildlife watchers to have the um, have all the extra opportunities, and it's it's just better for the outdoors in general to try to maintain uh, a good balance in nature. And let's start with one that I think has been a tremendous success, and it's kind of intriguing, and that's the lynx. You guys have been working on the lynx for like 20 years, I think. Yeah, um, back in 19, in the middle 90s, uh, some folks from the, then the Division of Wildlife decided that uh, the lynx, which had been extirpated from the state from trapping and overhunting and things, uh, decided <laughs> let's bring that species back and started a program in 1999 to reintroduce uh, lynx. These are the these are cats. They're uh, about 30, 35 pounds. Um, their favorite habitat is is um, a high elevation. You know, mainly over 8,000 feet. They have these big feet that allows them to run through the deep snow and chase down prey. And um, and since then, uh, the uh, the reintroduction took uh, about six years. Um, and uh, it went well. The um, lynx started reproducing and and uh, having, you know, the kittens had kittens in, in Colorado. And, and so that was a, a judgment that, you know, we had success and, and uh, we're continuing to monitor uh, the lynx. And we figure if they're not a real abundant species, there's probably 300 to 350 in the state. Um, mainly concentrated down in the San Juans where we've got a lot of wilderness, but they've really expanded uh, throughout the state. And, you know, people see them when they ski up on Vail Pass and um, up in Rocky Mountain National Park. So, um, uh, and, and again, we continue to monitor them. So it's quite a success story. And right, you mentioned where people see them. Now, they tend to be a high-altitude animal, and, and I'm very much like, mountain lions although mountain lions tend to be a little lower elevation at most times um they're very stealthy and you well, you're not going to see a lot of them you'll see signs but when you see one it is quite an impressive sight and they're just so beautiful and they're one of those majestic animals you said with the big feet i think occasionally people mistake bobcats for lynx at lower elevation but the bobcat's a little smaller but still a fun animal to see isn't it yeah, and bobcats are really abundant throughout Colorado. Uh, they live at lower elevation; they're more in that, uh, you know, below 8,000 feet. Um, uh, the they have small feet, just like a, a regular house cat. They're a little bigger than a house cat and, and a little meaner too, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the the, uh, the lynx are um, they really have these big feet that are basically snowshoes. Um, and uh, it really helps them get around in the snow. And, and they chase down um, uh, mainly uh, snowshoe hares and, uh, you know, squirrels and, and other other animals uh, that are up there. But, you know, the, kind of a helping to, to maintain that balance up there in the, in the high altitude. 
I could use a couple in my neighborhood to get rid of the rabbits, I think. But <laughs> hey, I want to take a little time too for another another success story, and this is one that may have been headed for the endangered species until some work was done here in Colorado, and that's the white-tailed ptarmigan. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know the the ptarmigan is kind of one of those iconic birds. You see pictures of it. It it changes color throughout the year, and during the during the winter, it turns white. To, you know, to hide from its prey. And back in 2011, there was um, some groups had petitioned, they call it, to list the ptarmigan as an endangered species. And when our biologists see something like that come up, they get together and and put together a plan and say, well. We have to study these animals, and it's not just a matter of going out there and walking around. Um, this was a, a six-year study. Uh, they basically surveyed um, oh, 60 sites over the entire white-tailed ptarmigan range, which is basically all of the um, above timberline um, uh, terrain in Colorado, and you know that's that's millions of acres. And um, and so uh, um, the researchers got out there and we we trapped them. We put um, radio transmitters on them. We uh, checked their nests. And uh, over the six years, um, eventually found that, uh, you know, they're the ptarmigan have been doing quite, quite well in Colorado. They haven't really seen much change since they were really first studied back in the 1960s. Um, and uh, and so uh, with that information was presented to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which is a federal agency. And um, and that and the federals, the federal people looked at that study and said, well, yeah, it looks like uh, they're in good shape and we don't have to list them, which means that there's not a, a lot of other regulations and restrictions that come along sometime with those sort of designations. Well, first of all, ptarmigan are uh, they're an Arctic or alpine type bird that actually changes colors. So if you do get to see them, they're really, really interesting uh, do you get to see them much? I mean, a lot of people don't go up into those high altitude areas, but are there quite a few sightings by just hikers and things? You know, I think people see them probably more during the summer, just because there, you know, there are more people uh, out there, and uh, and you know they'll flush and and, uh, and get around during the winter. They spend a lot of time underneath the snow. You know, they burrow in there to stay warm and. And, uh, you know, they're quite a hardy, resilient species. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously some people see them during the winter, but um, uh, but even during the summer they're tough to see because <laughs> I've walked right up to them and they've scared the heck out of me when they flush. And and uh, uh, so they're, they're, they're pretty neat bird. And, you know, if you get out the eagle eye and maybe some binoculars during the summer and, you know, scan those, those uh, beautiful the meadows up there that are full of flowers you you'll you'll good chance you'll see them now we got to go pretty quickly here because i know sean dunleavy's waiting to talk to us about saint Perrain. but the last thing i want to make a point though the fact that you guys did this study and were able to find the ptarmigan were thriving in colorado kept them from going on the endangered species list and that really gives you guys a lot of flexibility and management because you were willing to put in that work and study these animals. Now you can manage the habitat where they live and with a, with a lot more local decision-making. Isn't that right? 
Well, um, you know, a lot of that habitat is on federal, you know, that's Forest Service and BLM property. Um, but we work closely with those agencies and uh, our researchers are continuing, you know, some limited monitoring of these birds. And, uh, and we'll be working with, with those other agencies to, to look at areas where, um, you know, do we want to maybe keep some, some uh, maybe reroute this hiking trail? Um, you know, all that being said, there is a concern, you know, with, with climate change that, uh, you know, how the birds are going to do as, uh, as the planet heats up, too. So um, overall, we're going to, you know, we're keeping a close eye on it and continuing to monitor and, and working with, uh, with other agencies on making sure this bird uh, sticks around for, you know, forever. All right. We've got to go, but I want to thank you for joining us, Joe. That's always fun to hear about these different species in Colorado. All right. Thank you, Terry. Happy. You bet. Joe Lewandowski, we're going to take a quick time out. We come back. I know we're running behind, but we will make up for it. We're going to spend time with our next guest because this next opportunity gives you the chance to fish, ice fish, camp, hike, wildlife watch right here on the front range, almost in your backyard. Backyard. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. The Eagles. I kind of like this band. Did you know that, Kyle? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone's aware. <laughs> Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Locations up and down the Front Range to serve you. Broomfield, Lafayette, Loveland, Fort Collins, and then Cheyenne, too. Let's go right to the phones. And do- joining us from St. Varane State Park is Sean Dunleavy. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. Hey, thank you for patiently waiting. I'm going to blame the fact that we're running behind on a very good friend of both of ours, and that's Brad Peterson. He had a lot of great information this morning, but we're going to spend uh, plenty of time, even though we spent all that time with Brad. So we'll get, we'll still spend plenty of time on St. Perrain. But thank you for being patient. No, not a problem at all. You know, I think the first thing we should do, I think a lot of people drive by St. Perrain Park on I-25, and they notice a camper, they notice the ponds, they might even notice a fisherman back there. But I don't know if they understand what a real jewel of outdoor activity is right there in their backyard. Why don't you tell people where it's located in case they haven't driven by, driven by and then kind of talk about the resources you have there. Sure. So we're right off of uh, I-25 and Highway 119, so the Longmont exit just north of Denver there and uh, not too far south of Fort Collins, so great location. Um, We do have camping uh, throughout the year, including in the winter, and we've got, uh, depending on how you count it, 10 or 11 fishable ponds, and uh, I would say that in the summertime, most of those ponds are fair or even good for a lot of warm water species. And then in the late fall through probably mid-spring, we're one of the best places, I would think, in the whole state for stocked uh, 10 to 12-inch trout. So we're great for ice fishing when we have good ice, and that's actually going to be even a little different this year, a little better this year, because um, coot, sandpiper, and mallard are the three typical ponds that people think of for ice fishing and fishing for trout, but also blue heron this year. Um, which had no trout in it previously, or none that we knew of, now has trout in it. But those are actually 16 to 18 inch brooder trout that were put in, and I know some have already been caught this week. Now, before we get back to the fishing, because I want to spend some time, you said you have 
year-round camping, does that include hookups? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got uh, two different sides to the park. We've got a north side that about half the sites are back in and half are pulled through. Those have uh, more trees, and they're actually $5 a night less. But that side, the, the drawback is, is it doesn't have, you don't have your own water and your own sewage. You have a dump station you can use on your way in and out, and there are water uh, hookups available that you can temporarily hook up to get all you need, but you can't stay hooked up. On the south side, you do pay $5 a night more, and there's not as many trees, but you have full hookups. So you have your own water and your own sewage on that, and those are all pull through also. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, another thing that I think really goes overlooked there is you've got a nice set of trails and a lot of watchable wildlife. Yeah, uh, there's trails around every pond, and uh, certainly some of them allow you to, considering you're right off the highway, you still can feel like you're in the outdoors and out away from things a little bit, and it, it can be quiet. And uh, a fair amount of watchable wildlife. We do have both mule deer and white-tailed deer. Uh, there's turkeys in the park. Um, if you're lucky, occasionally people do see mink, so there are mink in the park. Uh, one of the things that's really cool, though, is all summer it's almost hard not to see osprey. And then in the wintertime right now, um, I never make guarantees, but if I'm looking for them, I see at least one or two bald eagles every day. So I know there's other state parks where you can see as many or more bald eagles, but you can really reliably see them here, and they're um, pretty close up, pretty easy to see. You know, the osprey always intrigued me because people will see a, a bird diving into the water and coming out with a fish, and they think it's an eagle or a hawk or a falcon. And eagles and hawks tend to hit the water with their talons if there's a fish close to the surface. The osprey really dive into the water. They're just an incredible bird to watch, aren't they? Oh, it's a lot of fun. And, yeah, um, they really do treat the fishermen to a, to a show sometimes because <laughs> – people will be fishing on any one of the ponds and sometimes very close to them they'll have an osprey just come in and uh it's uh, kind of like watching the old national geographic you know well it is and i get jealous because they catch more fish than i do too so that <laughs> <laughs> they usually do <laughs> yeah um one other before we move on to more about the fishing and that's swans you actually had some swans there last year yeah, so early in 2020, uh, for about three weeks, two to three weeks, we had some swans in the park, which is a rare treat for Colorado. Um, I'm a fair birder, and I really thought that they were um, the trumpeter swans. I, I think it's likely they were trumpeter swans. However, some other birders thought they could have been tundra swans. Either way would actually be a pretty good treat. They're um, not common for Colorado, and the other thing is they're just enormous birds if you've never seen one uh, it's not too much exaggeration to say that it's the difference between if you were at the airport and you saw some small planes take off and then a 747 took off that's about how big they look compared to the other um, ducks and geese that would be out on those ponds no you're absolutely right there's just you know people more and more people are getting outdoors and a lot of them are learning the outdoors and venturing to a park like St. Verain that's right here on the Front Range where they've got access to bathrooms and access back to civilization very quickly can be a great way to learn the outdoors and how to enjoy it before you start venturing up in the high country. Let's get back to the fishing, though, because St. Verain just provides local access to fishermen of all skill levels and all types. I mean, you have lots of open water shore fishing. You have 
you have some kayak access on some of the ponds, and you have actual full boat access on one. And then there's uh, the ice fishing. Let's go with current conditions. I know ice was starting to form. You probably even had some ice anglers out there. I'm kind of thinking without talking to you to in the last couple of days that with this warm weather and wind, probably shaky in the ice right now. You know, um, the ice conditions are probably, they're, I would say, fair. I'm not going to say much better than that. Here's the deal, though, and you've probably heard this many times. We never say safe or unsafe. We recommend four inches of ice. Right now, we probably have about three inches of ice on most of the ponds, and there are people out fishing today. So while we do recommend four, I don't tell people they can't be out on three inches of ice. Um, we just want people to be as safe as possible while they're doing it. Certainly, while on the ice, people can wear, I would recommend even, think about wearing flotation. Um, it's not going to be prohibitive, and it shouldn't be embarrassing to wear either a coat that's designed to float, float coat, or um, even a PFD, life preserver, while you're out on the ice. And certainly the other great thing to have is what are called ice halls. Um, I would not go on any ice without those. Uh, the other thing is you can drill holes as you go out so that you're constantly checking and testing that ice condition, seeing how thick that ice is. So don't just walk out to the middle of the lake and start. As you go out, take and make small holes as you go out or make holes as you go out and see what that looks like. It's going to sound odd, but the last thing I'd recommend is please remember to keep your dogs on a leash, even on the ice. I've actually had several people now have, who I've talked to about having their dog off leash on the ice don't want the dog to run off, fall in a hole, and then you have to go rescue the dog. Um, also, the dog, if it's running around on the ice, it makes it easier for that dog to cause you or somebody else to slip and fall. So even on the ice, just keep those dogs on a leash. Uh, before I let you go, what kind yeah. of species can I expect to catch if I come to ice fish at St. Brain? Probably your best bet is, in fact, going to be those trout. And like I said, on, on three of those ponds, you're looking at 10 to 12-inch trout, which is still a fair-sized fish. Um, if you wanted to ice fish, and there is actually still open water on one pond, and that is blue heron, which has those bigger trout, so those 16 to 18-inch trout you could catch from shore right now, too. And then um, on some of the other ponds, there's still a fair chance that uh, – crappie there's um, bass that are occasionally caught through the ice and i've seen catfish come through the ice here too yeah you just and even some walleyes and blue heron i believe right yes absolutely walleye and blue heron and actually coot too i believe has a few so walleye is another is another possibility for sure i would think that the um we got a couple warm days but then it's going to be in the 30s and low 40s i would think the ice will get just better by by after the first of the year and people should be able to go out there and i always say there's no such thing as safe ice but ice fishing can be extremely safe if you use common sense and i think uh by next weekend i would you know you never can predict but i would think we're looking at probably some pretty good fishable conditions and a real close place where people come out and just have a great time any last comments sean no, I uh, really appreciate your giving us the opportunity, and I hope to see uh, people out here enjoying the ice fishing as the ice improves. All right. Thank you, my friend. Hopefully I'll be out there very soon myself. Thanks for joining us. Sounds great. Thank you. You bet. Um, we're going to take a quick time out, and uh, I want to give kudos to my new production assistant, Weston Salty. He's uh, five years old. He's keeping me uh, a track of who's on the line and waiting, so we got lots of 
production assistant. I think Karen is just goofing off today. We're going to take a quick time out, and then we're going to come back and talk about some a few a lot more outdoors on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Remember who to send it to. James, James Taylor, great, great musician, self-taught. Try to play some of his stuff on a guitar sometime. It's just the man is just incredible. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Um, if, if you need something for an outdoor activity, Jack's has it. If you haven't been in a Jack's store, go check one out. Hey, I want to talk to you about a few things before we... Um, before we get to Nate Zelinsky who's going to join us at the, the top of the hour here. And the first thing, uh, if, you're, if you're a new listener to this show, we're on most Saturdays, 9 to 11. Sometimes we get moved around a little bit because of football. Or Today we have a half-hour show. We're on 9 to 10.30, so um, we'll be a little bit abbreviated because of NFL football. But most of the time, 9 to 11, right here, we cover fishing, hunting, camping, hiking, wildlife watching, all the outdoor activities that are mostly associated with what you would think of with parks and wildlife, but we get out outside of that box at times too. And best way to know what's going on in the show is to follow us on Facebook. And that's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We're going to tell you if we have a special guest coming up, I'll take podcasts from the show and I'll put links of them on my Facebook page so that if you missed one, you can uh, follow up and listen to it again. We put links to our YouTube channel, which by the way, you can go to uh, any way you want our YouTube channel is the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And we've got about 150 episodes up there on YouTube of our past television shows. And about half of those were filmed right here in your backyard. A lot of them go all over from the Arctic Circle to the equator across the country. But there's a great number of them that were filmed right here. In fact, if you're new and getting into ice fishing, we've got shows at Chatfield, Lake John, Dowdy, West, uh, all that were filmed right here in Colorado with lots of tips on how to fish these lakes. By the way, speaking of Lake John, uh, we just got a report that they are driving vehicles on Lake John now. You know, Lake John is one of the few lakes in Colorado where you can actually drive your truck out onto the ice. Now, I, I've I'm not sure how good the ice is overall. I would check with the uh, Lake John, the Lake John store, and just get a hold of them at Lake John Resort. And you can go to LakeJohnResort.com and get their call information, or they have a Facebook page that they post the conditions. I would keep up with. Uh, if you were listening earlier, the word we're getting from Lake John is that the fishing was very, uh, in, just incredibly active early in the year. It slowed down as far as numbers, but they're getting big fish out of there, including a 10-pound cut bow, I believe, that was caught this week, so there's some big fish. The Delaney's, I had a report from some other anglers that they're catching some nice-sized fish in the Delaney's, uh, and some of the Delaney's are still getting numbers on the cutthroats, so there's quite a quite a uh, fishing opportunity there. The Granby area, I heard some updates. We had them on last week. Granby was still wide open. Uh, Shadow Mountain was fishable, but the water was changing because of water levels. Uh, Grand Lake was freezing quite well, and they were doing quite good there, especially near shore on the trout, the lake trout they'll get into as season goes on. Blue Mesa, we've heard that uh, uh, that they were both, a, just a matter of a couple weeks ago, they were boating in the afternoon and ice fishing in the, in the morning. 
And until that boat ramp freezes, they were going to keep boating open. Well, we've had some extremely cold weather there, so I wouldn't count on the boat ramp being open, but the ice fishing should be expanding. And there you have opportunities for rainbows, browns, cutthroats, and some of the biggest lake trout in North America are in that lake. So we've got lots of opportunities uh, coming up. And uh, another thing that Sean mentioned about dogs on the ice and ice safety First, you heard me say my mantra is there's no such thing as safe ice, but ice fishing can be extremely safe if you use common sense. And common sense means checking the ice when you go, no matter how solid you think it is, or even if you've been there before, being aware of changing conditions. One of the most disastrous things is dogs running free this time of the year, whether you're in a city park, whether you're out ice fishing, whether you're up in the mountains, Ice conditions vary so much. If that dog runs out onto the ice chasing a bird or a rabbit or just frolicking, and they fall through 90% of the time, the fire department, if they're close enough, is out there rescuing the dog's owner because they, we all love our animals, and they panic, and they go out on that same ice that the dog fell through. That, um, that, uh, that, and, and a lot of times it's fatal to the owner, and they can't be rescued. I love dogs. I'm a big dog owner and lover. I've had lots of dogs. But the round ice is not the place for dogs to be out. And you should never be running free because they're going to be interfering with the other people. The other thing is if you're going up into moose country, we talk about wildlife watching. Leave the dogs at home. There are areas where the dogs can run free, and it's great for them to get their exercise. Just be aware of where you're at. and Don't put them or yourself in danger and take, uh, take good care of that. I'll tell you what. We're going to take a quick time out. When we get back, one of our favorite contributors, Nate Solinsky, is going to join us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 